going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pals, Pass Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, with the last episode of the Triple H era miniseries. Now, why is it the last episode? Because, as I said, it is a miniseries. It was always intended to be a miniseries. So, I'm basically going to give you the same news that I gave you last week, but it's just because I've sort of more determined and uh, decided on what I'm going to do with this. What's going to happen? We're going to have this episode that you're listening to Monday morning. Uh, it's the Monday of the Go Home Raw for Clash at the Castle. Next weekend, there will not be anything like this. There will be not be any Triple H era miniseries because that's ending. What's c coming next won't be happening either because anything I would have covered in those podcasts will be covered in the... Uh, in the preview for Clash at the Castle. The following Monday will be the first episode of WWE Last Week, which is what this will be called going forward, and it will cover everything from Clash at the Castle to Raw to NXT, if there's something to talk about, and SmackDown, and that's how it's going to go going forward. It will be a roundup that will drop on Monday of everything that happened the previous week. It won't happen the week that there is a pay-per-view to preview, because anything that I would have covered, as I said, would be covered in the preview instead. And for those of you that care about the uh, the minutia of it, those of you that are watching this on YouTube and pay any attention to like the actual playlists and stuff like that, you will notice um, all these Triple H era uh, miniseries podcasts have been put into the off the cuff. Uh, folder playlist, whatever you want to call it, because Off the Cuff was my catch-all for anything that didn't fit into any review, preview uh, category. This will have its own playlist when I get it going in two weeks, I guess, and uh, we will go from there. It will be a lot of the same. It won't be that much different. It will be a look at as it says on the tin, uh, what's happened previously in WWE. Now, it's not going to be a Raw review, SmackDown review, NXT review, pay-per-view review, um, like, fully, because that would be, like, 10 hours of content. It will be a much more general, um, where are we, uh, where are the key players, where are the key stories, um, stuff like that going forward. And it will be moderately, uh... It will be bias in the positive direction. As I said last week, if you want negative WWE review, go watch Deluxe Man. Go watch JD from New York. Go listen to Michael Sidgwick's portion of anything on what culture. They've got your unfounded negativity down pat over there. I am, and I think deservedly so, I am focusing more on the positives because every day, day by day by day, the positives are far outweighing the negatives since Triple H took over. Now I have to put in the caveat, no, I don't like why he's there. I don't like the fact that Vince McMahon got dicked out of his job by Me Too culture, but I can't lie either. Triple H is basically turning um, main roster Monday Night Raw into good black and gold NXT, which is all fine by me. Now first portion of what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be even further shaded in the positive because Raw was in Toronto, which meant I was in the Scotiabank Arena. And considering the, uh, the bomb that dropped on me on Friday, which is the fact that AEW is actually gouging uh, Toronto fans for their Dynamite tickets for August, only made me look back on this and do it more. Chances are I'm not going to Dynamite because fuck that shit. I was all excited. I, you guys know I've been talking about it for weeks, and I will do a separate thing on this, because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I was looking ridiculously forward to uh, to going to Dynamite, checking that literally off my Spaz Phoenix bucket list, but uh, not for $400 a ticket. 
Not when the two shows are separated off into two nights and the first night is like 400 bucks for nosebleed seats at the venue, let me be clear, that WWE does their house shows in. Don't think so. Made me much, much, much more appreciate this. Now, um... This won't help anybody if you're listening to me in an audio platform. But if you're watching me on YouTube, go to my channel. Check out the Reels feature. I did do a couple of Reels from not only not only Monday Night Raw, but also the Destiny Summer Heat show, which was also pretty awesome. They've moved into a bigger venue. I'm really happy for them as well. And I got to meet Killer Kelly, so that was kind of cool. But um, you can see the seats that I had at the Scotiabank Arena for Raw, and they were absolutely fantastic. They were just to the one side of the main entranceway. I wasn't on the floor, but I was pretty fucking close. It was pretty good. So this part of the, of the pod, the Raw portion is going to be incredibly biased because I had a lot of fun at that show. But let's talk about Bailey's group first. Bailey, Dakota Kai, EO Sky. And I don't even mind the EO Sky name. I've already gotten used to it. It's fine. But they come out, obviously, to interrupt Trish Stratus. WWE leaned heavily on the Toronto-ness of this Toronto show. I sarcastically said on Twitter that Triple H and WWE know where their bread is buttered when it comes to Toronto. The way we featured Trish Stratus, the way we featured Kevin Owens, which we're going to talk about in a second, the way we featured Edge, which I'm going to talk about momentarily, and obviously hometown girl Trish Stratus. Now, what the TV audience doesn't know is that a house show a couple months ago, she was also there, also playing unofficial host, also there with Kevin Owens, who was like situational face for the night, and Rey Mysterio and Dominic. Um, but that was really cool. Uh, the the interaction between her and Bailey's group, and yeah, even the way they integrated Bianca Belair to be like, do you know who this legend is? Wasn't as cringy as it usually is. Um, Really, really cool to see Bailey and Trish Stratus in a ring together. Wouldn't mind seeing that at some point. Trish Stratus is always teasing, as she did on this week's Raw, that she can go from retired to unretired really, really quick. And I'm not going to lie, that's something I would like to see a whole bunch. Um, it was also kind of used to introduce the, uh, what was it, the semifinals of the of the raw or sorry not the raw the wwe women's tag team title tournament because out came uh, alexa bliss and oscar eventually now yes i i'll take people's uh, criticisms here that oh this segment ended with a four on three advantage for the heels but i don't think that's a bad thing in this particular case because you want to see um heels get their comeuppance from the baby faces and if so much of a heels repertoire is constantly relying on a numbers advantage seeing them come up against a numbers advantage it didn't it didn't um, result in anything. It was just like, hey, what's it like uh, when you're on the other side of the coin? And they back off. Uh, Bailey was in Trish Stratus's face, and Bailey obviously bailed off. No pun intended. And you know, I'm gonna be nice to you. I'm gonna let all this disrespect slide because we're in your hometown. She fucks off. Bel Air fucks off. Triple Eight or sorry, uh, Trish Stratus fucks off. And we have the semifinal match. And obviously, Dakota Kai and Io Sky they beat Bliss and Oscar. The best thing, and I'm not going to try and disparage anybody else in the match, but the best parts of this match. You guys know how much I love Alexa Bliss, but I'm sorry, and Dakota, and how much I'm happy to have Dakota Kai. Don't let that fall under the radar either. The best parts of this match were uh, Io Sky and Asuka going at it because they just looked like they were trying to punch each other's brains out. Oh, yes. Now, criticism that I saw online was that a couple of, because uh, Asuka goes into those those uh, almost like Pitbull uh, Fury type of uh, sequences where she's just striking and striking and striking. And I saw people on Twitter actually saying, oh, well, you know, she missed a few. And I'm like, okay, 
Alright, that's that's fine, but do you want every every single shot to legit shoot knock somebody's teeth out? We did that with AJ Styles in the Miz. I'm just saying that's not a dig at AJ Styles, that's not a dig at the Miz. You guys I know know I love them as well. But that they missed a punch. It happens. Remember the Dark Order guy that was punching the mat because he was too afraid to punch Dustin Rhodes? It's it's fine. You don't need to worry about it. They obviously uh, get to move forward. They go on to face, uh, well, we'll talk about later who they go on to face. But, I mean, they're doing that last match, that finals match, on Monday. And on Monday is where we find out whether all my fears come to bear, whether WWE decides to say, yeah, this entire tournament that you've been enjoying doesn't matter at all because Entitled 1 and Entitled 2 are coming back, but that hasn't happened yet, so I don't want to speak it into existence. Also, later on in the night, because you saw people watching in the back, etc. Now, this was a little bit clunky. The exposition it took to get here wasn't great. So you had Dewdrop and you had Nikki Ash in the back watching the match, you know, t you know, keeping an eye on the competition, and who's there with them is Aaliyah from SmackDown. Now, A, for the uh, brand split diehards, oh my god, why is she, why is she here? She's not supposed to be there. Okay, cool. I get it, except she's fighting for the one title that floats over both brands, so you can kind of smooth that away. It's not the end of the world. What didn't make sense to me is if she was going to be there, scouting, etc., why didn't she ever partner with her? And that gets underlined later on in the night when she is, in fact, attacked by, or not attacked, but um, confronted, I should say, by Bailey and her group, and then immediately Tristratus pops up behind her and says, you know, well, basically goads Bailey into a match with Aaliyah, you know, she hadn't had her comeback match yet, and all that. Um, nice little tie-in, because Trish Stratus and Aaliyah are both from Toronto. I get that Aaliyah's not 10 stars in the Tokyo Dome, but I do think she's incredibly underrated, and the more chances she gets to go out and perform, the more she's gonna get better. Like, you can't have 10 years of experience if somebody won't let you have your first match, is how I'm gonna put that. But the interaction between her and Trish Stratus was kind of cool. Her kind of floating around Raw without her partner, which didn't make any sense, I will admit, and having somebody like Trish Stratus come and have her back and show some support for her was also really cool. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I really don't, because I've been saying the whole time, this trios match that they're having at Clash at the Castle was good, because it, it saved us the Bailey bianca Belair one-on-one -on -one title match, but it also saved us, uh, for a later date, Bailey's one-on-one -on -one return to in-ring action. And we kind of shot on that this week. Um, I still stick by that, to a certain degree, in principle. In principle, I still stick to that. In a much more selfish context of, I was there, and it was fucking awesome, I kind of don't care. And if you want to have a more, like, in-canon reason, here's this group of three people that have debuted. One, uh, one debuted solo against Bianca Belair one week. The following week, the next one debuted in solo action and basically squashed Dana Brooke, let's be real. And Bailey got her debut this week uh, against Aaliyah, which, I mean... Aaliyah got to have a hometown moment, which was cool, with a hometown legend like Trish Stratus. I know people don't like when you misuse the word legend, but Trish Stratus is. You can suck my dick. Um, and Bailey returned. Re Bailey returned to action, which is also, which is also pretty fucking cool. Uh, I'm. The more I think about it, the more I'm glad that they didn't just 
like show up, beat people up, and have their first in-ring action be in the trios match, because I think this is a group that you can show that is loyal to each other, but are still individuals. I'm going to make a very lofty comparison and say sort of a shield vibe, um, where, you know, they can all go for singles titles, you know, one of them can go back down to NXT and bring the NXT title up to Raw or something like that, one can, once they have the tag team titles and they are able to float, one of them can go and challenge for the SmackDown title while one holds the Raw title, they can have um, a group of individuals, not a group, if that makes any sense at all, and in that vein, then having them all have their debuts on consecutive weeks does kind of make sense. Do I think there would have been value to saving Bailey's one-on-one return for either a bigger match or a pay-per-view platform? Yes, I'll, I'll take your argument on that, and I'll take what was my argument literally last week. But, as I say, A, I was there, so I'm biased. I don't really care. I got to see Bailey's return to action, which was really cool, and got a soft spot in my heart for Aaliyah, not gonna lie. The tag team of her and Raquel uh, Gonzalez, Rodriguez, whatever the hell we're calling her now, is a bit strange. Um... Side note, getting into the getting into the news and rumors side of things, which I'm going to do much more later on. Apparently, WWE has got the uh, has applied for the copyright for the name Damage Control. Uh, we've been saying for the past couple of weeks how not on screen, but everywhere else, social media, etc., they've been referring to themselves as Control, and then idiots like me come along and put your narrative. So what they've done is they've they've trademarked this name, and I guess it's going to be for the whole group. It's called Damage Control. Uh, control is spelled C-T-R-L like it is on your freaking keyboard, which is lame and kind of cool at the same time because, you know, the girl with the show called Ding Dong Hello would obviously come up with a different way to spell Control. I don't mind that. If that ends up being a thing, that's totally fine. <coughs> if their entrance becomes somebody on the screen hitting the Control button on their keyboard, then yeah, we're hitting it over the head a little bit. But overall... They got to interact with the Hall of Famer, they progressed in the tag team uh, tag team tournament ranks, and Bailey had her comeback singles match, obviously, to, to a victory. Good good night. Really, really good night for Bailey and her crew, who are eventually, apparently, going to be called Damage Control. Now, switching from that group to another group, The Judgment Day had an interesting uh, night on SmackDown as well. Balor and Ziggler. Now, I don't, I don't even really need to say much about this. It was a really good match. It was a really nice win for Balor. Um, he had to, like, they had to get a win tonight because, you know, Damian Priest wasn't going to win in the main event. Okay. Um, just the, the, the thing in the back where Balor calls him kid and he literally calls him out on, like, we're like a year apart. You, you, there's no need for that. Ziggler, and I've been saying this for weeks and I'm going to keep saying it because it's true, he's fast becoming the raw workhorse. He's fast becoming, like, just this guy who's going to float around and give everybody... He used to be the cell guy, which I think is different. Um, the cell guy is, okay, you got a brand new guy and they're really powerful, so you need somebody that's going to flop around like a fish. Or they've got this really awesome finisher, so we need somebody that, that can look like they've been absolutely folded in half. And Ziggler does that. Don't get me wrong. But starting from the Gable match, uh, and then whatever he did last week that I can't remember because my brain doesn't like me, and now this, um, it's not... He's gone so from... 
what's the word I'm looking for? He's gone from being the sell guy to I'm going to give you a great match overall. Uh, instead of making your finisher look like a killer, I'm going to make you as a talent, as a wrestler, look like a killer, and I'm going to make sure I look good doing it as well, which is all good. Now, the other side of the coin, and they said this on Raw Commentary, I was actually watching the show back a bit today, because I don't want to do that initially. When I come home from a, from a live show, I don't immediately come home and watch it, because I don't want to shake off the 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 liveness of it, which is absolutely what happens uh, when you go back and watch it on TV, because then you watch it through the WWE lens and all that sort of thing. It's why I don't, uh, even though it's great, I don't watch WrestleMania 18 a lot, the whole Rock Hogan thing or whatever, because I was there for that. Um, pat myself on the back for that one. Um, let me say, let me just say, the ticket that I bought for WrestleMania 18 to see the Rock face Hulk Hogan, I don't care what you think of Hulk Hogan, to see the rock face Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania is one-third of what AEW wants me to pay for a dynamite ticket in a house show venue. Just putting it out there. But uh, I, don't, I don't do that a whole lot. But going back and watching it now, they made an interesting point on commentary that Judgment Day are going through legends. And once again, I'm going to say that, you know, people don't like the way you use legends. People just... WWE diehards, people that have been there a while, people that have uh, have accomplished a lot in WWE. That's what they mean by legends. They don't mean like your Hogan's and your Warriors and your Ric Flair's and your Undertaker's and all that anymore. When they say legend, they just say somebody that made their footprint. They've been there a long time. They uh, had uh, had an effect. They gave us a, a a good amount of of content. Gave us a good amount of their lives. Let's be real. But you talk about um, beating people like Ziggler, beating people like Rey Mysterio, um, and later on, obviously the the feud with um, with Edge as well. Now that didn't go in their way, but it is kind of a neat thing that they're not a new group that's immediately picking off new guys as soon as they show up. Like like they didn't jump. Uh, Actually, I shouldn't say that. Somebody else that showed up on Raw that we're going to talk about later on. Um, but yeah, match was good. Balor got the win. That was the right decision. Balor's got new music. I mean, Priest has new music too. I do like that rather than just throwing some random altar bridge over their entrance, they're actually giving them like darker versions of their original music, which is kind of cool. You can tell Finn Balor's not used to it because he didn't get any of the cues when he did the spotlight thing, which was a little bit funny, but okay as well. And Rhea Ripley on the outside is the hot jacked cheerleader for both of them which makes me think that she might not be a hundred percent physically whatever i really hope that's not the case because i really want badass things for her as well i want her to win the title and Baszler to win the title and i want them to recreate that one awesome night of nxt when we get to survivor series this year remember that one awesome night of nxt where they beat aew with um Baszler and Ripley in the main event yes they did yes they did what was the curtain jerker on that show oh that's right it was adam Cole, baby. Um, yeah, Edge versus Priest. What What do you want from me on this one? We, like Edge in his hometown. I guess I go back to the reels because, like, pretty much I was about five feet away from Edge when he made his entrance in Toronto at the Scotiabank Arena on Raw. I think they said the first time he's fought on live TV in Toronto in like ten years, which is fucking ridiculous. He came out a couple years ago at SummerSlam and speared Elias. That was it. That was all we got. Um, that was the same week that I had to witness uh, certain somebody else make a comeback in Toronto because life hates me and then my phone goes off and everybody's laughing at me over Twitter and, and Instagram and all that kind of thing. Because people love me. That's that's a thing. Um, 
Edge gets the win after a pretty long match, honestly. People are like, oh, he's old, he's over the hill, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, you're still cheering for Sting. Moving on. Uh, Edge gets the win. Immediately three-on-one beat down by the Judgment Day. We neutralized Rhea Ripley, finally, with the introduction of Beth Phoenix, who, from my perspective, where I was sitting in the arena, I didn't know that she was sitting ringside for this match. I mean, I could have predicted it, but they didn't. Uh, at least where I was sitting. I was behind the Tron, so even if they showed her on TV, I didn't know that she was there until the end, which made it very cool for me uh, in a way that maybe necessarily the TV crowd wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have gotten. But Beth Phoenix coming in uh, to basically chase Rhea Ripley away because nobody else is going to do it. And clearly we're not going to do the mixed gender six-person tag that I want, which was Ray and Dominic and, and uh, Edge versus these three, but next best thing, um, I'm sure Dominic is doing something or selling an injury or whatever, but if we get Edge and Ray and Beth taking on these guys at the pay-per-view, I don't know what they're confirming for next week, but that will be really cool as well, and afterwards we did get, I'm sure people have covered this already, we did get the homecoming speech from Edge, who heavily implied that next August, when they come back to Toronto, because uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, WWE typically comes around August if they're going to do a live show and around my birthday in December uh, if they're going to do another house show, which they are. I think it's on the 20th. Um, that it may be the last time we see him. Now, that doesn't. Now, that could mean one of two things. Uh, if he's retiring anytime soon in the next year or so and he's doing it under his own power rather than doing it because of injury that's awesome like that's him taking his career back in his own hand and him deciding when it's going to be over i don't know whether that means he's going to retire in toronto or whether that trip to toronto will be the last time that the toronto crowd sees him that that was sort of left uh left open so to speak and then he sent everybody home with a Go Leafs Go chant, which was good for the majority, but not so much for me, because I don't really give a shit about hockey, but it was all good. Now, that was the end of the show, but it's not the end of my coverage, because even more, even more great Canadian content was Kevin Owens answering the open challenge from Chad Gable. Ridiculous pop. Ridiculous. Ridiculous pop. I know it doesn't come through on TV because I've watched it on TV. The pop for Edge didn't come through properly on TV. And you don't have to believe me if you don't want to, but the pop for Kevin Owens was fucking massive. Go back and watch the SmackDown from Montreal. The pop that Sami Zayn got was massive. This was a great showing by Gable as well. Don't let me overshadow him. Um, hometown KO squash, though. And he did it with the pop-up powerbomb. So again, more and more and more hints that he's going back to the old NXT Kevin Owens. We had the apron powerbomb. Uh, we have now the pop-up powerbomb. Now, Otis comes in after the match, and there's a double team, and it would have been a really good, it would, like, it would have blown the roof off if what the crowd thought was going to happen happened, because he's getting double teamed, and one of two things can happen. Somebody can save him, or he can just beast out and destroy both of them. Uh, everybody started chanting Sammy. Everybody in that arena was chanting Sammy. It didn't happen. It's going to happen soon. I'm just saying. Um... But instead, Kevin Owens just killed both of them. And the way I've, I've heard people say this on podcasts, and I'll agree being there, the way that Chad Gable bounced off of Otis when KO powerbombed him onto Otis was way funnier than it had any right to be. I'm just putting that one out there as well. Gonna uh, 
go to something that I can't even pump up really anymore, uh, even though I like all the people involved. It was Miz and Champa versus Styles and Lashley. Now, Styles and Lashley were opponents last week, and they're just, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and Miz and Champa uh, continuing their partnership, for lack of a better term. Seeing Champa live in all that fucking neon gear after I've been in this same arena to see two NXT TakeOver Toronto's was a bit disheartening, I'm not going to lie. I know I was super hot on it last week. My my opinion seems to be fluctuating. There's somebody in the crowd, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be the typical Dexter Loomis spot. And it's not. It's somebody else who immediately gets removed by security. And then actual Dexter Loomis comes, grabs the Miz, chokes out the Miz, and kidnaps him. Just kidnaps him. Just kidnaps him. Just, just drags him. And the way uh, the way the entrances go uh, in the Scotiabank Arena, for those of you that haven't been there, you have to go up a set of stairs to go back down a set of stairs. It's got this sort of swooping uh, quality to it. And the, it, so it was just like watching Miz, when he was being dragged down that aisleway or that hallway or whatever you want to call it, it was just like watching him get dragged into a hole, which is way funnier than it had any right to be. And Miz... The story is Dexter Lewis, but The Miz isn't going to get the credit that he deserves for being, like, the the flailing guy in the grip of the snake or whatever ridiculous metaphor you want to make. Um, I thought at the time that Ciampa had then gone on to lose a handicap match, but I think they just called the match because disqualification by way of kidnapping. Now, I should mention, I was talking about the crowd earlier. One thing that did happen... Uh, during the first match, and I think it was during the first commercial break, there was a couple people on the floor level in front of me that were sort of confronted by security, and I don't know what shirts they were wearing, but security brought them t-shirts and made them get up and change their t-shirts. So that's kind of weird. I thought we were done with stories like this, <laughs> but uh, take it for what it's worth. It is what it is. Um, that was a really weird thing to say uh, during the time that the women's tag match was obviously, obviously in a commercial break segment. Uh, I guess they waited for the commercial. They didn't want these guys that were on the hard camera side to be seen basically getting told to, to change their shirts. Very strange. Coming back from all this, after a segment that had Ciampa in it, after a segment that had Dexter Loomis in it, what do these guys both have in common? Randomly out of fucking nowhere, Rebel Heart. And I had gone, uh, not to the merch stand, but I had gone to get some more food to stuff my face, because that's what I do. And literally, as I'm coming down the steps, Rebel Heart hits. And for a second, I thought, like, my, my, my brain wasn't right. And I'm not trying to over-exaggerate the, the moment, because it was just a cool moment. But in my head, as I'm going down the steps, I'm like, I wasn't looking up, because I was carrying my food and all that. And I thought somebody near me had it on, like, a ringtone or something like that, because it was like, higher-pitched, if, if that makes sense. But no, um, no run-in, no, no interaction with anybody, no confrontation with anybody. Gargano just comes out, walks out, into the ring, on Raw, and cuts the huge babyface, um, welcome back, you know, hey, I've been gone for a while, I've always wanted to come back and do this, I've always wanted to win the Intercontinental in the U.S. and the and the world titles, etc. I've always wanted to compete at WrestleMania, and now I've got a kid at home that wants to, that I want to show them that they can do anything. Very, very, very Johnny Gargano, white meat, babyface promo. And he's interrupted by Theory, who gives him a very sarcastic welcome back, 
and tells him, hey, you know, in the time that you've been gone, um, I've basically done everything that you want to do. I'm the biggest challenger there is. Rada, rada, rada. Maybe now you're the rookie and you can carry my bags, etc., etc., etc. Which was very, very funny because it made me think of The Miz being uh, Daniel Bryan's pro on uh, on NXT. What was it, season two? Uh, <laughs> which made a whole lot of people very angry and made me smile a whole lot. So he says, "Okay, yeah, I'll be the I'll be the." I'll be the veteran, you'll be the rookie, you can carry my bags, and we can be a team again. And he goes, he goes to give him the no-look high-five, and he eats a super kick to the fucking face, which is so, so good, and so exactly what needs to happen, because people are shitting on Theory. I'm not. I love Theory. I think Theory's fucking great. He's got the most punchable face since The Miz. Um, he, he is exactly what he needs to be, but a lot of other people are down on him. He needs something like uh, a Gargano feud, uh, I think, and, and he's the perfect face to punch for Johnny on the way back in. Now, what I will say, and what I didn't think of until later on this week, you know, as I'm collecting my notes, what I want to talk to you nice people about, what did I just say a second ago? Hey, he come out right after a segment that had Champa and Dexter in it, but then I got thinking about it even more. Gargano and Champa were a unit, all on their own, were a unit, they were a tag team, and that was all that they needed to be. The formation of the way only happened well after Gargano and Ciampa had finally severed their ties with each other. So I'll be very interested to see what, now that Johnny here is here and is there to be the nucleus of the conversation, I'll be very interested to see, if anything, what the relationship between Ciampa, Theory, and Loomis is. Because... Ciampa and Loomis represent the family that Gargano replaced Ciampa with on NXT. If you follow my thought pattern on that, I might be I might be looking way too much into it. But also, until Gargano and until Gargano and Ciampa get back together, which I'm pretty damn fucking sure is going to happen. Ciampa is right now situational heel. Theory is heel. Dexter is only effaced by the fact that the guy he kidnapped was a heel. And Johnny Gargano is obviously going to be faced. So before we get DIY back together, I'm going to laugh a whole lot if we get Ciampa and Theory versus Dexter and Gargano at some point. I mean, technically, right now, Dexter Loomis is just this guy that snuck into the arena and kidnapped The Miz. But there is so many cool possibilities there. And I mean, there's one more missing piece, or two more missing pieces of the puzzle that we're going to talk about later on. But that was raw. That was my... Uh, that was my live trip to Raw. As I say, very, very, very cool Toronto-centric episode of Raw. Felt very, very lucky to be there. It was a lot of fun. Met a couple really cool... I went by myself. I had a solo ticket to Raw. Uh, met a couple cool people along the way. Um, the crowd, the area that I was sitting in, because we were in that weird sort of wedged... Um, area beside behind the Tron um, and we were kind of joking around about where I was sitting it was it was not too bad it wasn't too bad at all um, yeah losing my train of thought now moving over to NXT I'm not going to go as much into NXT as I did last week uh, we got a couple more things clarified for Worlds Collide they're not just going to be champion versus champion matches they're going to be actual championship unification matches because Tyler Bate came out in a promo with uh, Braun Breaker and said I was the first NXT UK champion and I'm going to be the last NXT UK 
champion. So what we did was we solidified Breaker versus Bait to solidify those two titles, or sorry, unify those two titles. And in another segment later on in the night, um, Mandy Rose, or sorry, I'll, I'll take it from the other way. Um, Blair Davenport had a match against Indy Hartwell, which led to something else that we're going to talk about in a seven. But she also referred to herself as a number one contender. She said, I was I was the number one contender to Miko Satomura's championship, so I might as well be the number one contender to, to Mandy Rose's championship. Who wants to put their hand up and tell her that that's not how things work? Uh, Mandy Rose came out to confront her. Miko Satomura came out to confront her. And weirdly... We're having a champion versus champion versus sort of challenger triple threat match to unify those two titles, which is it, it was an odd way to get there. I don't I don't mind admitting to you. I remember Miko Satomura from the Mae Young Classic, and that's all the experience I have of what she can do. But she's great. Blair Davenport, I have now seen one Blair Davenport match. So let's go. Mandy Rose, as always, goes incredibly underappreciated and underrated, but that's never really going to stop, is it? So that all got cleared out after Blair Davenport had beaten Indy Hartwell. Indy Hartwell cuts a promo about uh, about hitting rock bottom and that, where, does I, where do I go from here? I sat out here a year ago and said that I was going to change things and make things go for the better. She references uh, all the other girl that she was tag team partners with, whose name I can't remember, Persia Parada. Um and other thing, other teams that she's been in without mentioning Candice LeRae, and, you know, where do I go from here? And Dexter Loomis comes out from under the ring. And this was really cool, and it was all wacky in all the right ways, because it's current Rainbows and Butterflies NXT, but they did their crawl across the ring, and he carried her out of the ring, and I'm like, okay, cool, they're going to do some random thing where he kidnaps, or not kidnaps, but he saves her from her doldrums and carries her right on to Monday Night Raw, seeing as he's sort of already a fixture on Monday Night Raw. But no, he takes her to the front door, gives her a letter, leaves, and we see him getting arrested. And that came out of nowhere. And all I can compare it to, and you guys are, I know you guys hate my ridiculous comparisons, but if you remember the, um, the episode of The Simpsons, where they created the extra character for Itchy and Scratchy, the, the Poochie character, and then they decided, no, we don't like the Poochie character anymore, we're just going to write him out. And then you had that really bad dub over of, I have to go now, my planet needs me. And then you just see the animation frame just, like, disappear. That's basically what happened to Dexter Loomis. He was in the middle of a return to NXT, a return to his wife in storyline, and it was all good, and it was all romance novel until he randomly walked out the door and got arrested. So I guess Dexter Loomis has to go now because Planet Raw needs him. The other thing that absolutely killed me, this was good too, this was ridiculous in all the ways I wanted it to be ridiculous. Santos Escobar lost the match at Heatwave against Tony D'Angelo, and I shouldn't do accents, we know this, but it meant that he had to leave NXT. But his boys were still part of the D'Angelo family mob, you know, we want to be the Sopranos, but we're not quite the Sopranos thing. And, uh, so, Tony D'Angelo set them up with a match. I think it was up against the, uh, the, what do you call it? The schism? This is my first, oh, okay, I gotta take a side note for a second. I gotta tell you, this is my first time seeing grizzled young veterans since they've joined Joe Gacy. What the fuck is that shit? But they lost, and, uh, basically all downtrodden sitting in the parking lot. In the parking lot, which is the key point of all of this. In the parking lot. The, the absolutely world-famous lore of the NXT parking lot. They're in the, they're in the back. And, oh, sorry, I should say, uh, 
what's her name, Electra Lopez is with them as well. And a big black truck pulls up, window comes down, Santos Escobar just looks at them and says, what, you didn't think I was going to leave without you, did I? Did you? I'm like, that's so fucking great, because first of all, that means he's not only going up, the rest of them are going up as well. But if you remember, back in the day, back in the good Triple H rock and roll, black and gold NXT, the way this whole group came together was um, uh, when Santos Escobar was like El Fantasmo Jr. or whatever in the Cruiserweight tournament, and everybody kept on getting kidnapped in the parking lot by these masked guys, and those masked guys ended up being... Um, Zima Ion and the other one, uh, Raul Mendoza, like, they started NXT with kidnappings in the parking lot. And that's how they left NXT. That is more brilliant than anybody is ever going to give them credit for. I just love that so much. So before we get into SmackDown, really, really quickly, I want to knock out some more rumors really, really quick. Touched on it last week, still seems to be in the conversation this week. Um with Madison Rain leaving Impact to go to AEW. Uh, I think that's really cool. She's got a player, sort of a player coach job over there. That's absolutely fucking awesome. So happy for her. Um, but also, there's rumors that Emma slash Neil Dashwood may also be leaving, Madison Rain's former tag team partner, and coming back to WWE. And I can't really say anything other than I hope that's true. But, again, kind of like... Kind of like Cody, when everybody was uh, when everybody was saying Cody was coming back to WWE from AEW, we want him to be the Cody that he is now. I kind of want the Tennille Dashwood that we have now as well. That's just that's just a picky thing. I mean, Emma and Paige, for all the other stands out there that love the Four Horsewomen, I'm sorry that NXT Women's Revolution that you love to talk about didn't start with the Four Horsewomen. It started with Paige and Emma. Now, we can't have Paige back because Sasha Banks ended her career. Go ahead and argue with me. The other half of that situation was Emma. If we get Emma back in the WWE, either under the Emma banner or as Tennille Dashwood as she is now, that's going to be fucking great. Um, another one, another uh, interesting uh, interview that was released over the past week was one with Victoria, who hinted that she would come back to WWE if the price was right, if the story was right, and that's basically a pretty blanket statement, but it's cool. Why I mention this is she also mentioned a uh, specific respect for Bailey, who has apparently borrowed a lot of her moveset from her, uh, some kind of modified side slam or whatever that she's going to start using. It's like, she's a fan of me, I'm a fan of her, I would love her to use my move. She doesn't need my permission, but she has it. And I think that's that's pretty cool. I I don't know. I, I like Victoria. Don't get me wrong. Back in the day, like the spiderweb queen, whatever the fuck she was, coming out to the cool tattoo music and all that kind of thing. I really I really liked Victoria. I don't know whether I need to see her back, but if she does come back, it's not going to hurt my feelings either. But even with that sort of a passing of the torch, sharing of respect from her towards Bailey after she's just had this comeback with her faction and everything that they're doing is really, really, just, it's just really good. And I know I just keep saying everything's really good, but everything really does feel really good right now. Uh, apparently also on the uh, on the callback list, so to speak, is uh, Bronson Reed, also known as Jonah in Impact Wrestling. That'll be interesting because apparently his time in Impact is already over. I think he was only on a, you know, pay me, I'll come back, pay me, I'll come back, pay me, I'll come back type of contract. I, there's a word for that that I just can't think of it right now. Um, I think he's in Japan right now. If 
if the last thing I read was was true. Bronson Reed, main uh, main roster WWE, now that it's run by Triple H and not by Vince, and we don't have to worry about him becoming the next Funkasaurus, I think Bronson Reed could be a lot of fun. He, just a lot of fun. I don't know. I keep want, wanting to come up with other words for, oh, just this will be a lot of fun, that'll be a lot of fun, but fun is what we're here for, and I really like Bronson Reed. Um... Touched on it before with the, with the NXT stuff, but is Dexter Loomis bringing Indy Hartwell to Raw? I hope so. Does that mean that Johnny Gargano's bringing Candice LeRae to Raw? I want to say I hope so, but also, like, she just had a kid. She might be momming it up right now, and if that's the case, all the power to her. <laughs> that's all I got for that. Legato, um... Rumors are that Legato is going to be called up to SmackDown by the end of the month. Same thing goes for Solo Sokoa, who might be joining the Bloodline within the month. Now, with Roman Reigns being more and more and more part-time, a trio of the Usos and Solo Sokoa could be interesting. Maybe they could win the WWE inaugural trios championships. It's fine. I'm going to say, while we're talking about all these other call-ups, Indy Hartwell... Um, Bronson Reed coming back, uh, Dexter being back, Legato going up to SmackDown, obviously Candice potentially, Solo Sokoa is is in the pipeline as well. I really do hope, and I'm going to keep saying it until it happens, I really do hope they tap Carmelo Hayes as well. When he drops the North American Championship, which he will, everybody drops their titles eventually, I'm going to say, have him hold that title until... He drops it on a Tuesday, and you're throwing him on SmackDown that Friday. Like, that's how fast it needs to be, in my opinion. Because I think he's really fucking good. Uh, and Solo Sokoa and Car uh, Carmelo Hayes, uh, I so put them in a similar uh, type of conversation, only because I want to see those two guys fight on a big pay-per-view stage. And I think that'll be really cool. And if Carmelo Hayes has Trick Williams with him, and if by that point Solo Sokoa has the bloodline behind him, then you've got another sort of group, you know, gang warfare type thing going on, and there's no, you know, bad Sopranos stereotypical stuff to go along with it. Um, I think that's the end of the rumors, except for one more that I want to touch on at the end, because it sort of does affect everything. But we're going to go over to SmackDown. SmackDown, the the Ricochet push is still going on. Ricochet's getting a lot of time every week, ever since Triple H came back. Um, it's with Corbin, which is weird, because you can think of a hundred people, like, if Ricochet was going to get a push on SmackDown, I would have said, cool, give him a long-standing feud with Sami Zayn, but Sami Zayn's got other things on his mind at the moment. But... The rumor seems to be, or, or at least the, the rustling seems to be right now, to the dirt again as this sort of dickhead Happy Corbin character because the idea is they're going to bring him back as his old character, as, as the Lone Wolf character, which you guys know me. I did a retro NXT uh, TakeOver review thing a while ago. Baron Corbin was good as the as the Lone Wolf. He wasn't you know, setting the world on fire, but he was fucking solid. In NXT, he was that guy in... Oh, what's, what, what do I want to say here? NXT, when it was like the super indie show, him being the guy that hated indie wrestlers, basically, that's what they were saying without really saying it, What was a good shtick. Like, Baron Corbin, that version of Baron Corbin that we had back in, like, what was it, 2015, 2016-ish, 
that version of Baron Corbin would get nuclear heat in AEW. Now, cue all the AEW fans. Oh, no, we don't want him in AEW. He didn't get five stars in the Tokyo Dome, brother, 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 brother. But it's true, he would. The whole, like, you know, you're an indie loser, fuck off type thing. Um, the other thing about... Oh, that was the other thing, too, about uh, Santos Escobar. So, not Santos Escobar. The... Uh, the other two members of Legato, when they were under Tony D'Angelo and having their match with the schism, uh, was he was at ringside telling, yelling at them, telling them not to do flips and shit, which was hysterical. Um, so Ricochet getting a lot of focus on SmackDown right now, pretty cool. I thought this was going to end up with him being back in the Intercontinental Championship picture, but I think that's going to happen after Clash at the Castle. We'll get there when we get there. Um, Corbin just still being there and sort of lumbering along isn't the greatest, I'll say, but if the rumor about the, the whole lone wolf, you know, character regression to progress type of idea is in place, then yes, definitely do that. We had a huge video package push for Drew McIntyre uh, as he gets ready for his match with, uh, with Roman Reigns at Clash at the Castle. What I do love is it showed a bunch of his indie stuff, a bunch of, like, home video type stuff, showed a bunch of stuff from him in Evolve, and then it showed him being back in WWE, but it didn't have anything from NXT in it, or very, very little at the least. Um, I'm thinking that might be because a lot of his feuds in NXT were with people that are not in WWE anymore. Uh, I think he won the title from... Who the fuck did he win it from? Did he win it from Andrade, or did he lose it to Andrade? Somebody tell me down in the box below. That might be a reason. It's a stupid reason, but it is a reason. The rest of the video package was great. Uh, talked about, you know, around the time that he got fired from WWE is also the time that he lost his mom and, you know, personal struggles, matching up with work struggles, and everything that we need to get us all behind him to lose to Roman Reigns at Clash of the Castle, because also that's what's going to happen. Also, we had a response from... Uh, Karrion Cross, who was sitting, uh, what are they calling that? They're calling that the Okerlund position. It's not backstage, but it's, it's at the top of the rampway with the crowd behind him. And they do it in all the black and white. And it was all the promo stuff that everybody doesn't like from Karrion Cross that I love. So it makes me laugh a whole bunch. And then he ends it with TikTok, which will always make me laugh because his thing is the hourglass and hourglasses do not tick, nor do they talk. Yes, I'm going to keep saying it because it's funny as fuck. Um, we progress again with the women's tag team tournament, which is snake bit on the SmackDown side, is it not? Um, we couldn't have, uh, Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons because one of them had a concussion and the other one fell victim to COVID politics. That's what happened there. So they were replaced by Toxic Attraction, which I was all hyped for. You guys know that. And then... In the match that they won, Gigi Dolan also got injured. Now, the, the take online is, oh, her getting injured proves that she shouldn't have been there in the first place. That is a fucking retarded take. And if that's your take, go take a walk outside. Um, so what they did instead was they set up uh, sort of a mini tournament within the night type thing. Last Chance Fatal 4-Way, winner of the Last Chance Fatal 4-Way goes on to face... Uh, Aaliyah and Raquel Rodriguez who have already progressed and the winner of that will go on to Monday to face Sky and Kai and probably lose because Sky and Kai are going to be the new tag team champions. So what we had was we had Sonya Deville and Natalia defeat Shotzi, uh, Zia Lee, Tamina, Dana Brooke, Nikki Ash, and Dewdrop. Now, the shitty news to come out of this is if you saw the... there's a big suplex spot. I think it was Dana Brooke suplexed Nikki Ash 
from the turnbuckle to the outside onto everybody else. But if you watch them fall, as they fall, all in a pile, supposed to be very safe. Nikki Ash or Nikki Cross or whatever you want to call her absolutely smokes her leg on the guardrail, which sucks. And apparently she's out with injury as well, which uh, you never want to see anybody get injured. You really don't. And I never want to try and put a silver lining on somebody getting hurt because it's bad and it sucks and means it means they're not going to get to do what they love for a while and it means their fans don't get to see them for a while. This is the perfect opportunity to let her be out of the spotlight for a while, let her come back as Nikki Cross, just putting it out there. Now, as predicted, Sonya Deville and Natalia went on then to lose to Raquel and Aaliyah, because that was clearly where we were going anyway. Bailey and Michael Cole on commentary. It's brilliant. I'm sorry, Bailey and Michael Cole was the feud of the COVID era. It was the feud of the Thunderdome. It was the feud of the, what do you call it? The Performance Center. It It's great. And there's so many, I've already done the thumbnail for this video and you're going to see it. Pat McAfee <laughs> laughing his ass off because Michael Cole is sitting on commentary with his head in his hands and the girls are behind him and Bailey's on commentary. And it's so, it's so fucking good. It just it just is. Um, but yeah, so we have our final. Uh, it's going to be Raquel and Aaliyah versus Sky and Dakota Kai on Monday, which is kind of cool. I hope they play up on the history between Dakota Kai and Raquel Rodriguez, but I mean, Dakota Kai technically was partners with Raquel Gonzalez, so are they going to do the whole, well, that never happened thing? I don't really know. Aaliyah, as I said, I like Aaliyah, hometown girl. I really do have a feeling that she's going to be the one to eat the pin, and she's going to be the one that's made to look really lost in this match, which will be bad, but also Sky and Kai are going to be your new tag team champions. And I'm just going to put all the positive, all the positive hope out there in the universe that Entitled Number 1 and Entitled Number 2 don't come back and make this entire thing pointless and get handed those belts because of political identity politics reasons. Can we put that out there in the universe? We had a cool face-to-face -face with Sheamus and Gunther because that's your match for Clash of the Castle. I do want to say, nothing against Sheamus. Sheamus is, is exactly what he is. <laughs> uh, I do have a feeling that if this pay-per-view coming up next weekend was just a standard somewhere in America, like, backlash or something like that, with the push that Ricochet is getting... I think the push would have been for Ricochet to finally get his IC title back from Walter, Gunther, whatever you want to call him. But I do think they are trying to cater to the UK audience, which I can't really complain about because I was just in Toronto and they really catered to the Toronto audience. So these guys are going to smack seven pounds out of each other. That's what's going to happen there. They had a cool face-to-face. -face. While they were having their cool face-to-face, -face, uh, Ludwig Kaiser and Butch went at it. Somebody showed me a picture a while ago, and it was this picture from SmackDown uh, put up against a picture from NXT, one of the takeovers, where it was Pete Dunne and Walter fighting over the NXT UK title, and that was fucking brutal. Now, we've made P Pete Dunne sort of a side character in Butch, but I do hope we get that type of smack fest uh, at Clash of the Castle. Not only because the we know they can do it, we know Walter can do it, um, 
it's in another part of the world, so maybe they want to give the show a little bit of a different feel. And takeovers were originally made by Triple H, who's now in charge of the whole thing. Maybe it'll happen. Um, New Day fake out the Viking Raiders with a fake retirement and then beat them up with sticks. And then they are set up for a Viking Rules match next week, which has already been taped because they're going to be in Cardiff by the time next Friday rolls around. And I've already heard all the rumors that you would expect uh, concerning this match being lame as shit. So, uh, not everything's sunshine and roses, but we do have a lot of tag teams. You know what else we got? We got the Street Profits, we got Hit Row, we got Umberto and uh, Angel, and we've got Maximum Male Models, because clearly the Street Profits and Hit Row are buddies, and they even said in a backstage segment, hey, isn't there something we all have in common? And I'm like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, because I'll get kicked off YouTube, a la Steven Crowder, but it's there, and we all know it's there. Moving on. Um... Maximum male models are doing a photo shoot and they get distracted by what they think is Hit Row's bus because it's playing Hit Row's music, so they go and vandalize it and it turns out to be the Street Profits bus and they come out like one the one in a million time that you actually see them trying to be serious, which was weird. I, I thought it was going to be really funny and really like sort of ridiculous, let's, let it, let's just let this be stupid. I thought they were going to do a mini-feud between Hit Row and the Maximum Male Models, but they're trying to bring Humberto and Garza into the spotlight, I guess, a little bit, and I mean, the Street Profits being there as well makes it seem a little bit more legit because of how much time they've spent in the actual tag team title picture. Now, I don't know what's going on, because Maxime Dupree has, was the one that brought Humberto and Garza into the fold to help them with the Hit Row guys. And Maxime Dupree was also the one that came out to dance to the freestyle thing that Hit Row did last week. So is she just checking out everybody? Is she is she going to be the referee when th when this happens? Because it's clearly going to happen. Street Profits and Hit Row taking on Maximum Male Models, uh, Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza is going to be a nothing pile of people. Let's just have a bit of fun match. And she turns on Max Dupree and joins somebody else. Uh, she joins the Street Profits because Hit Row already has B-Fab. And I don't know. I absolutely don't know. Does she come down for Umberto and uh, Garza's kiss cam next week on this pre-taped SmackDown? I I don't know. Karrion Car Cross is apparently having his solo, I guess, re-debut next week on SmackDown as well. Um, probably going to read the spoilers after this because I didn't want to get too much into it um, talking about this week to talk about next week's spoilers. The New Day Viking Raiders thing it was just, oh, it's a Viking rules match. It's going to be silly. Okay, now let's talk about the whole... I love the Sami Zayn bloodline thing because you've got such a cool dynamic here with Sami really, really, really trying to endear himself to uh, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, who now, just the beginning of it, just starting last week, kind of has Kevin Owens in his rearview mirror. So you know that they're going to do something with Sammy and Kevin versus the Usos eventually. You've got the way that the Bloodline are receiving, uh, the way they're receiving Sami Zayn right now, because it's three different things. Um, Roman sort of doesn't really care. Hey, maybe I can benefit from you, so he sends him to out tonight to deal with uh, with Drew McIntyre. 
Jimmy Uso kind of like laughs him off, like a, not like a little brother. I don't want to use that comparison, but sort of like, oh, okay, cool, you're with us, I guess. <laughs> you're kind of a loser, but whatever. Like he thinks the whole situation is hysterical because he's almost watching it happen, and Jay Uso is like incredibly, incredibly offended by him being there, which I think is really cool. Because one of them's laughing it off, so the fact that he's laughing it off will piss off Jay. The fact that Roman may, might one time in a million actually have a use for Sami Zayn is going to piss him off. So he's going to be the one standing in the middle. Jay Uso, the guy that got a little bit of a solo push before his brother got back, is going to get a little bit pissed and a little bit pissed and a little bit pissed. And when Sami goes face, here's what I want to see. First of all, you want to see the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That's going to happen. If anybody's going to take those belts off of the Usos, it's going to be Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. But precursor to that, when Sami Zayn goes face, when he walks away from the bloodline, I want Jimmy to be like, all right, whatever, you weren't really that useful anyway, and Roman Reigns could give a fuck less. I want a singles feud between Sami Zayn and Jey Uso specifically, especially with how pissed off Jey was all night. Now, Sami versus Drew at the end of this week's SmackDown was really good. Obviously, the Usos run down, they try to get involved. Drew still gets the win because he's got a title match in nine days. Um, Roman comes down, they brawl three on one, he eats a spear, and then they take him outside, they beat him up with steps, they throw him into the rampway, the rail, etc. And they destroy him. And if you see the pictures of him circulating, I'm recording this on Saturday for the record, if you see the social media pictures circulating of Drew McIntyre today, his back is cut up to fuck. And I have to imagine, I don't know, I'm not there, I'm not a medical person, I'm not a wrestler, I'm just throwing a guess out there that replacing the guardrails on the outside uh, that used to be that like that cushy sort of black material. Remember we had the, the, the wrought iron guardrails and then we went to that sort of black thing that went all the way around. I have to imagine there's a little bit of padding in those. So going from those to then on the hard camera side having the, the LED screens has to be different, right? Has to hurt a little bit more, be a little bit more solid. And also because it's now audio-visual equipment, they have to be careful to a certain degree about how they work around that stuff. I'm not a, I'm not particularly a fan, by the way, but if any of that contributed to his back all being cut up to fuck, then that's really terrible. But the, but the pose at the end, this whole idea of, you know, you, you, you sometimes you see something happen on TV and you know they're posing for a picture. And there's a picture going around all social media today, as you knew it would, and it's Drew McIntyre on the floor with a chair over him, with Roman Reigns looming over him on the chair with both belts on either shoulder, one Uso on one side, one Uso on the other side, and Sami Zayn standing tall behind him. That's a fucking picture. You put up that picture for 10 seconds and you don't need a video package before that title match when we get to next Saturday. It's like, it's like one in the afternoon here for me, so that's gonna be weird too. Um, we've got a hell of a loaded weekend that weekend as well. You've got Clash at the Castle, you've got Worlds Collide, and you've got All Out. All Out, which is an absolute mess, because if you haven't been paying attention, AEW is a bit of a mess, and I'm not shitting on them. Like, I enjoy AEW. We get Guapo on here, me and him, we talk about AEW. We had it last week. We're going to do a preview for All Out <coughs> as well. Um, there's a lot to enjoy in AEW, but if you listen to the news recently, there's a lot of scrambling, there's a lot of infighting, there's a lot of tension almost like there's a new threat in town. Almost a new era, you could say.
Now, before we go, before we go, one more rumor is Triple H further wants to put his own stamp on his WWE, and a lot of that comes down to what's visual and immediately noticeable. He wants to get new belts. I don't know if he's getting all new belts. I don't know if it's only for the main roster. I don't know whether it's across the board. Um, my opinion, personally, uh, Intercontinental Championship changed not that long ago. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I don't mind it. The U.S. title looks pretty cool. It looks heavy, but it looks pretty cool. I'm one of the few people on the planet that actually thinks that the design of the current tag team titles makes complete fucking sense. Uh, get rid of the big W belts on Raw and SmackDown for the, for the men and the women, and get rid of the stupid rainbow belts. The stupid rainbow belts on NXT. You're amalgamating those titles with the NXT UK titles, which are fucking gorgeous. This is a perfect opportunity. What, what did I say before? Nikki Ash getting injured is terrible, but it's the perfect time for her to come back as her old character, as Nikki Cross, right? You're unifying the NXT titles. This is the perfect opportunity to actually unify them and actually make a better look, excuse me, a better looking belt. I really liked the NXT titles that they had right before they went and like put a bunch of rainbow shit on them because that was really good. The North American title is gorgeous. The NXT tag team titles are, they're a bit simplistic, but they're good. Uh, I would say, as I would go as far as to say that the NXT UK tag team titles, which I'm sure somewhere along the line will be unified as well, but those belts are pretty good looking. Change the main men's, the main women's on all three brands. That's basically what I'm saying here. Um, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, change the main men's and the main women's titles. Leave the rest of them alone. North American, US, and Intercontinental are fine. Don't worry about it. And I'm sorry, we're, we're, I know we're having a, a tournament to crown new women's tag team champions, and that would be a kind of cool opportunity to rebrand those belts as well, seeing as the ungrateful people that held them beforehand literally chucked them across a desk. But they're not that bad either. Leave them as they are. Change the ones that need to be changed. Put the ones that need to be changed, or put the ones that are bad now that you're going to change later, put them up as a discount on WWE Shop or whatever you need to do. Or get, or as a Good Mike Work suggested on Twitter, I think it was a day ago, take all the ones that are of the current design and just keep giving them out to, uh, to winning football teams and basketball teams and hockey teams, etc. Which means none of them are coming to Toronto. Oh, yes. Now, the last thing I have to say, and it's not, nothing to do with anything other than my own theory on this, there's a change happening right now, uh, and this is not strictly, this is not a dig at AEW, but I think this is why the changes that Triple H is making in WWE right now are received a little bit better than what's going on in AEW. When AEW was, was at its pomp, when AEW was at its like starting blocks, ooh, look, it's a brand new shiny thing, every week you heard you, somebody new, and it was Mox, it was Jericho, it was Adam Cole, baby. It was CM Punk. It was Brian... Okay, I'm not... I shouldn't include CM Punk in what I'm about to say, so take CM Punk out of that list. But Mox, Jericho, Adam Cole, Rusev, um, Cesaro, William Regal, etc. They're all excellent acquisitions. All excellent additions to your roster. I don't want to take anything away from that or anything away from those wrestlers. Look at Ruby Soho. Look at Athena. Like, these are great additions 
to your roster, and those are talents that you would definitely pick up if you could have the opportunity, right? But there was a little bit of, we got another one of theirs. We got another one of theirs. We got another one of theirs. And as good as it is for your roster, it do, it always had that sarcastic element to it. Every announcement was like, hey, we just want another one. We just want another one. On the other side of the coin, the only time you can really say that for WWE is Cody. One of the guys that created AEW decided that the better option for him was WWE. And okay, yeah, there was a lot of sarcasm from a lot of fans, including me, about that. Everything Triple H is doing is taking misused or broken toys in his like sandbox that his his sandbox already. He's fixing and addressing and acknowledging stuff that we've been saying for a long time with the people that are already there. It has nothing to do with AEW. It wasn't poaching. It wasn't tampering or anything like this. We went around, oh, you're trying to steal Johnny Gargano. Okay, whatever. Guy's making a ridiculous amount of money, and he should. Let's focus more on the women. Okay, done. Let's bring back Dakota Kai. Okay, done. Let's bring back Dexter and Johnny Gargano. Okay, done. Karrion Cross. Okay, done. Present Karrion Cross properly this time. Okay, done. Present him with Scarlet this time. Okay, done. They were all done in a manner that was like fixing your own house not trying to put a rock through the house next door. And that's why I think they're more effective. And that's why that's the thought that I'm going to leave you guys with. Triple H is mending his own house and not throwing rocks at the guy next door. That's it. That's all. That's all I got. And that is also the end of this pod. So I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation. Keep all of these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later. I can speak, I swear. But for right now, tagging out. Bye, guys.